0: Holy Spirit, your people call out for understanding. Bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, we are in a series um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, last week, online on Zoom, for this sermon, uh, I was so excited about. Not quite as much fun to deliver to a computer, but um, just that there was like a refrain or a chorus that ran through that passage last week, and it was, God sees, God loves, and God gives. It wasn't so much in those words. Um, Talked a lot about God our Father, mentioned 10 times in that one passage, 17 times in this whole sermon, God has mentioned his Father. Talked about reward, God gives, um, and talked about How we practice our faith um, for God and not for others. And God will see it. So God sees, God loves, God gives. And I'm sure that Jesus, he's repeating these things and it's meant to grab us. It's meant to, you know, kind of command a sort of a full devotion. That there's this, he wants to drill home this message about God's love for us. And, um, one of the themes that, I, that has been coming back to me so much with this sermon, which I had not thought of before, is the theme of exile. And part of it is uh, the passage leading up to this with the announcement of the kingdom of heaven with John the Baptist. And then Jesus repeats that same thing in uh, chapter four. And so I've been thinking about that section of scripture as well where Jesus is tempted and he's baptized, and John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness calling people to repent, that this is, this is a story about exile and return home, which is easy to forget because Israel is home physically. But there's a sense in which the exile has not um, been over. Even though they're living in uh, Israel, the, the, the exile is still, they're still experiencing it. Um, and when I think of exile, I think of this idea of um, that we are away, that we are separated, that we are uh, lonely, alone, um, that we are in a place where people don't recognize us, we're in a place where our needs aren't cared for, and there's this question about when will God show up. And I think that what Jesus is doing with this sermon is trying to describe what homecoming home from exile, looks like. And it's talking about human flourishing. And what's interesting is it has pretty much nothing to do with the actual place where they're living, but how we live in a kingdom with one another. And so he's talking about homecoming and flourishing and thriving, this understanding of sort of a singularity or a wholeness, a peace, a singular devotion to God. That is lived out in our relationships with one another. And so, you know, he's trying to teach us that we can't claim to keep God's law by not murdering someone and harbor hatred towards others. We can't be pursuing God in personal spiritual practices like prayer and look for praise from others. And this morning, we'll look at we can't claim to find our security in God and allow all the pressures of life to determine our priorities and our investments. Um, And I think this is timely. If we're thinking about this as exile and coming home, I think we're in a time that's good to be thinking about this. Uh, A week ago, yesterday, I was driving out to Cook's Corner so I could get a COVID test. First time I've had to do that since all this started. And I'm feeling a bit uh, weepy. Um, And as I'm driving out on Route 1 towards Cook's Corner, I'm just thinking of, I'm thinking about what this feels like the last nine months, is that we're being shoved around by the bully on on the playground. You know, demanding our lunch money, trying to separate us from our friends. I, I was thinking about if this is positive, I was not so much worried about my own health, but I'm thinking that's yet another week or two that my kids can't go to basketball. That's another week where they can't go to school. That's another week where we got to figure something else out for Sunday morning. I mean, even, even when we're here on Sunday, I, I can't, I literally can't see part of your face. I can't tell if I'm boring you to death or or what? You know, you can't. I run into people who are acquaintances that I should know at Hannaford, and I can't tell who they are, right? And so this whole thing is like a snow globe, right? And it's just shaking everything up. But instead of snow, it's our relationships. It's our routines. It's our understanding of things. And it's not all bad. I've said that over and over. You know, this there's it's an opportunity because we've gotten into some ruts. And when we talk about going back to normal, I know what people mean. They don't, you know, I think what they mean is that we can be in here with as many people as we can get in here without face masks, okay? But as far as the relationships that are being shaken up by this pandemic and all of that, I I, I feel like I don't want to go back because when Graham walks in this morning and I'm asking him, how are you? I feel like I'm actually asking him, how are you doing? And when... Someone is asking me that, I feel like we're in a time where I'm actually being asked. I don't wanna leave that after this. I think that should remain. So it's a moving forward and there's lots of opportunity, but it feels like we're being pushed around and shoved around and it doesn't always feel good. The racism class has been like that with our understanding of economics and politics. It's been hard been hard but it's very rewarding um and so without with the world you know the way it is and our relationships being shaken up and all of that i, I think what i was feeling on the way to cook's corner that day was that i feel very small <laughs> very small that there's something very big happening I, I realized i don't know what was the last time this kind of thing happened pandemic ni- 18 1918 something like that My grandmother turns 100 this year. She's never seen anything like this. I was trying to remind my kids. It's good to step back and to remind ourselves that we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. So if it's hard, that's okay. But it makes us feel very small and pushed around and shoved around. And I don't think we like that feeling. But I think that there's an opportunity I know that there's an opportunity uh, to move forward with family, you know, relationships, church, community, economics, political relationships. Um, and right now it looks like a big jigsaw puzzle that's all thrown apart. But I think if we allow ourselves to feel small, what we're going to be surprised about is that God can loom large. That God can have this huge presence in our lives. Because I think what we're used to trying to do and what Jesus is trying to lay out here is that we have our ways of trying to make ourselves feel big when our world feels big when we feel like we're shoved around, we grab onto things, we're trying to gain other people's attention we're trying to harbor that hatred because if we can get them back, it makes us feel powerful and Jesus is addressing those things and up till now he's been addressing a lot of relationships, relational approach, you know, don't try to please others, please God don't harbor hatred in your heart. you got to love your enemies. And now we make that shift from people to things that we grab onto, that we try to manipulate to make ourselves feel big in a world that is pushing us around. So we start with Matthew 6, 19 to 21. We read this last week. Um, when we're trying to gain the praise of others, when we're trying to show off for others, uh, We're kind of storing up treasures for ourselves. And Jesus is now going to transition to earthly treasures, things, possessions. Um, And so I'm going to read this again because it's a transition that fits with last week and fits with this week. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store up your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be, the desires of your heart. And so he's talking about treasures and what we treasure. And the reason he's mentioning this is because we do treasure things that aren't going to help us. We do that. We all do that. That's why he's bringing it up. So we have this new section of the sermon which turns from uh, reward of human praise and recognition and explores how the goods of the material world and our anxiety about those things relate to flourishing and greater righteousness. He talked earlier on about greater righteousness. Have greater righteousness than all these religious people that you're familiar with seeing. What they're doing looks like what a return home for Israel would look like. And what I'm telling you is it's, that's not it. And so he's redefining not only what return from exile looks like, but what exile is. And for a lot of us, if we are honest, we realize we've been living in exile and didn't know it. And I think a lot of that was happening before all this happened last year. We are probably living in exile in ways that we didn't know. Um <clears throat> The irony of uh, storing earthly treasure um, is that it doesn't gain us anything. It's vulnerable. All these things that we try to store up are vulnerable and we will not be large. We will not, we're trying to make ourselves large in this world that's shoving us around. And the irony is is that it won't because rust will eat eat it, moss will eat it and it's vulnerable. What you value is what you are, I think is what he's saying. So we get into this new section, we transition in, and he begins with uh, sort of a, out of the tradition of wisdom literature here. And he has a proverb, sort of like a proverb for us Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, Your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So he has this proverbial statement and he talks about the eye being a window. And I think a lot of times we can get into debating things that are sort of adventures in missing point. And we wonder, is he saying that what's in us is, uh, you know, casting darkness into our world or is what we look at in the world casting darkness on the inside? That's not really the point. It's much more simple. He's saying that our inside should match the outside. The use of the eye in that world is like a window between the inside and outside, and they need to match. Um, Wisdom literature is interesting um, because typically when we teach out of a passage, like I mentioned with John the Baptist and Jesus, both mentioning the kingdom of heaven, they have a context. So you look at the world in which uh, these sayings happen, and that context helps determine the meaning Uh, that we draw from it but wisdom literature is very different they 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 are contextless they're sort of these universal truths that just kind of hang out there no matter what the context is which can make it confusing because they can uh seem to um contradict one another but they're still true right so um, two heads are better than one too many cooks spoil the pot they're both true, even though they're opposites, and this is one of those things where he's saying this universal truth that this inside needs to meet the outside, and he's using this idea of the eyes, this window between the two, as a as a vehicle to talk about that. Um, and I think I, I, this is one thing I've, I've been trying to hammer home with this passage: is that at least the tradition I've grew up with in the church. Uh, when I say grew up with it, uh, starting in college, um, is that everything gets kind of boiled down to this personal devotion. You know, I, I got to make sure my eye is clean so that, you know, it's. I got to make sure my personal life is all lined up. And yet when we look at this, this idea of the mind or, or the, the the eye and money, as he's going to go into um that this is still related to one another. This idea of the evil eye, right? The evil eye. If we read Deuteronomy, we will read this here. But if there is any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land that the Lord God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year of canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. And in some translations, don't have an evil eye. Don't have a bad eye toward your neighbor is what this says. For the Lord God will bless you in everything that you do. The opposite, if we read the opposite out of uh, Proverbs 22, 9, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. And what's going on there is that in the original language, it has this idea that those with a good eye feed the poor. And so already we see Jesus transitioning into this idea of money and this window of the eye and lining up the outside and the inside, but it has to do with how we relate to one another, how we live, right? That snow globe that's been shaken up for all of us in the last year, I think what's floating around there, like I said, is our our ideas, our preconceptions, our routines, and our relationships have gotten really crazy, and we're struggling to understand them. And so I think that what Jesus is saying is so pertinent to us having a good eye, a generous spirit toward one another. <clears throat> and these must align our inside attitudes and our actions towards another. They must align with this generous spirit for wholeness and flourishing and greater righteousness and a community that thrives for homecoming, for coming home from exile. That's what must happen. And I'm sure his disciples are like, this is kind of crazy because we thought exile was all about coming home, (laughs) being at home. And he's saying, no, there's something deeper going on here. And so he moves into the... uh, this is and by this has come up with our racism class. It's absolutely amazing the homework we've been giving, and it's hard. It's hard to see how the economic policies we have have disenfranchised so many people. Um, it's a bit overwhelming, and so worth looking at, so that we can rethink those things and our part in them. I thought of that. Thought of that class when I started reading about the the evil eye and the generous spirit. So he goes on and gives some examples. That's what he's been doing in this passage, this uh, whole sermon. This is uh, why I tell you, verse 25, not to worry about everyday life. When you're driving to Cook's Corner for that test, wondering how it's going to affect your family, don't worry. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food. And I love the issue is enough here. If We have enough. If you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns. Your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can your worries add a single moment to your life? What a great question. What do our actions tell us about that? How would we, if we look at our actions, what's the answer to that question? He goes on with a second example. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, and thrown into fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? What are you worried about? What are you worried about? And so in both of these examples, it's interesting because he, he's pointing out animals, he's pointing out flowers, neither of which try to work to make themselves greater. There's no trying to grab. And, and when, when life is tough and there's worries that come and there's trials in front of us, you don't see them working all that hard to build themselves up, to strengthen themselves like I do so often. When we feel like we're shoved around on the playground, that's what we want to do. It's this impulse of self-preservation and fear, like that song talked about, fear and anxiety. And he sums it up. He says, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. This is the way of the world. This is is what happens all around us. And what I'm talking about is homecoming. The kingdom of heaven. It is at hand. Something new is happening here. Not something new as in part B, but there's a plan. The fullness of time is here, and God is working in this powerful way. And we are going to return home where God is worshipped as king, where he rules over his people generously, and we're going to experience that. And what he's talking about with this sermon is the entry into that, into what that life is. Don't worry about these things. Living like that dominates those who are still living in exile. Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It'll feel good into that journey. And so when we do these things and we have these troubles and these anxieties, and when I talk about anxieties, I mean when life is shoving us around. We're not talking about um, mental health. That is something that uh, is depression, those type of things. You know, They need special help and they need to be addressed in a special way. Um, he's talking about life and trials and things that come our way. And having our heart focused on God and not trying to build ourselves up with things and trying to grab on because we feel so small. Because we feel so small. Because what happens here in this is he talks about how big God is. Over and over, just like in the last time, uh, in that last section where we see over and over, God sees, God loves, God gives. What we hear here over and over again is far more You are far more valuable than these things. You are far more. You are far greater in God's eyes. Far more, far more, far more. So much more valuable than these flowers and the birds. God sees that. And so he's challenging us to trust in that, in the greatness of God, where we can find Our home. He's not promising us that we'll never have worries on a monetary level. One quote I read says this. Despite assurances of verse 33, we know that our money problems will not all be solved by an unquestioning confidence in God. By seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, we do not adopt an otherworldly view of economics and money, We assess their usefulness in relation to other more serious matters, such as the ecological plight of the planet and the deprivations of the poor. Jesus is redefining what God's people are, and it's not along ethnic lines. It's along, it's whoever understands these truths. That God is bigger and that God values you far more, far more, far more than we even realize. So he's redefined what exile is. Exile is when we grab onto these things to try to make ourselves feel big when life is pushing us around. And home is where we can release these things and allow God in. So we can be small so that God and be big in our lives. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Let's, uh, I want to sing some more. If we could uh, come on up and, and sing. I would love to do that song again if you guys feel up for it. We have time. Do you want us to do the two? Yeah, we got time. We got time for three. Yeah. God. Uh, I'm i a moment. I don't really know how to approach you with this. Um, we we all do this, which is why you're teaching us. We do things to try to calm our anxieties and our fears. And many of those ways hurt other people because they're so focused on us. And we're focused on us because we're afraid. We don't feel at home. We don't feel like we're vulnerable and safe. So we grab and we push and we shove. We wonder why the world seems to grab and push and shove us. And you call us into a new way of being in this world. That is marked by love for others, a generous spirit towards others, and a trust that you value us as much as you say you do. May we have faith to believe that truth. I ask in Jesus' name.